Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, this is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Wilander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. So we are officially a week into Roland Garros 2020, eight days to go, because of course there are 15 greedy days in the French Open. Uh, I think it's safe to say that my central heating after two days has now become a firm, permanent fixture of my autumn winter. I think the same can probably be said of the Philippe Chatrier roof for the coming days, because things are lo- looking pretty grim over in Paris. I'm joined by Matt and David as per usual, but... I'm also delighted to say joining us from quarantine uh, is Simon Briggs. Simon, how are you doing? I think you thought I was going to be in Paris when you invited me, didn't you? (laughs) Well, I know you have been in Paris. You have certainly experienced Paris and we're very eager to hear all about it. But you've now returned and are having to uh, quarantine accordingly. Was was the trip worth the quarantine? Um... Not sure it was. I mean, I got a call actually from from the uh, government within about 18 hours of getting back. They called me on the first lunchtime of the first day that technically I was quarantining. So that doesn't include the day of your return, which was actually quite impressive, I thought. Um, that they were they were saying, "Do you realise that you have to stay in your house for 14 days? And this is the first day of your confinement." Um, but yeah, I'm not sure that uh, it was the best deal I've ever struck. Did, did they ask you how your experience of the tennis was? <laughs> no, I don't. They didn't actually ask me why I'd been out of the country. Um, and uh, I'm not sure they'd believe me if I told them. We, we've, all, we've all been discussing our impressions of this very bizarre French Open, obviously from a distance, watching it all as we are on, on screens and trying to put our fingers and identify... What exactly make, is making it feel so different, so weird? It's not that there aren't good things about it and highlights, and we're all very glad it's happening, but it but it is a strange experience. Um, and you know, David's been working with Russell Fuller, who who's out there for the BBC, who I, I know you'll have seen from a distance, Simon. And he 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 said midweek was it, David? He said this does not feel like a Grand Slam tournament. Would you would you say the same, Simon? Was that your feeling too? Yeah, I mean, it was absolutely unlike anything else. I mean, it's obviously um, outdoor tennis played as an indoor time of year. And it's um, um, Russell actually summed it up best when he described the venue as feeling like a uh, 
seaside resort out of season, um, which was because uh, he, he's not only he's not only doing all the broadcasting, but he's actually writing better than us too. Which <laughs> the uh, the experience was um, really quite surreal um, being there, just as it was watching it. I think, and um, yeah, ultimately it's just been. If it had been a, a beautiful autumn, you know, there would have been a sense perhaps of uh, of getting that feel of that clay in the sunshine. You know, it's such a distinctive colour, isn't it? And I think I would have been there. I've been to, to Paris many times for the Paris Masters when it's been lovely. But uh, obviously it's been a bit of an apocalyptic autumn both here and there. So that's been uh, coming through on the TV and in person. Is that it? Is the, is the weather the biggest contributing factor to the weirdness? Yeah, the weather and the temperature, and obviously the um, the people aren't there. I mean, that's that's been the same for everything. So I suppose almost we're becoming accustomed to that. So, but also Roland Garros is a peculiar space. I mean, it doesn't half look ropey when you're walking along the the main uh, corridor back from Longland towards the new airport terminal style of of Chatrier. But weirdly, there's this massive concrete runway running all the way up to the top gate, and there's this great big grill which is emitting steam like a, a New York a metro underground tunnel. Um, so you're getting that effect at the same time um, as, as you're walking back to the, the press box, which is now also underground um, in another change of scene. Uh, but I suppose it wouldn't have made much difference in the amount of natural light coming in. How many, how many press are there on, on site and how, what's the environment like? in the media areas is is there any kind of camaraderie are you able to to socialize at all or is it all sort of too socially distanced and and bizarre for that yeah we um we definitely had uh, some good chats down there um your uh colleague from amazon marcus buckland uh popped by a few times one afternoon we found ourselves watching videos of autis Dealey presenting the world athletics championships for no particular reason <laughs> Um, <laughs> and um, the French were right behind us, um, and they obviously uh, you know, they, they, they were they were kind of more engaged in the tournament. A lot of a lot of French players making some headway, um, some great French wins um, to to look at. So uh, yeah, it didn't feel too bad in the in the press centre. Um, just put perhaps a little gloomy in terms of the natural light and the uh, and the, the feeling of being underground um, beneath the, the bowels of uh, Chatrier. We've had another great French win today, haven't we? Speaking of great French wins, with uh, Fiona Ferro, yeah. Well, she. Um... I, I thought I thought David and Matt were going to jump in there. They were early. Well, certainly Matt was an early Fiona Ferro adopter. David has rather jumped on his bandwagon, and now it's everybody's bandwagon. Yeah, quite right. I was worried that when David when David predicted Fiona Ferro to win the other day, he was going to just sort of get those points and then Fiona Farrow would go out and I wouldn't get any credit for predicting Farrow to get to the quarterfinals before the tournament. Kind of like a Sasnovic situation we had at the US Open, I remember. Some bandwagon jumping and taking of my predictions points. But yes, <laughs> Fiona Farrow has backed up her win over Heather Watson and Elena Rabatkina and she is now into the fourth round by beating Patricia Maria Thick, who is another inform clay court player and this was this was probably my match of the day I, I i watched this one and the the first set was 83 minutes pharaoh just sneaked through it but then thig came back and then pharaoh won the third set six love so it was an impressive 
it was an impressive regroup after dropping the second set. And it was one of those matches as well that had a crowd, you know, like we were talking about yesterday with those other French players involved, Gaston and Garcia. It just, just seems to make quite a bit of a difference when there's a significant crowd in there and particularly today because Fig was quite happy to play the role of villain and she started getting booed and she really seemed to lap that up and sort of started hissing back at them and fist pumping even more and cheering even more loudly for herself she was really embracing that role and uh, it kind of it kind of injected some real life into the match and uh, it was it, it was really high quality tennis as well it's not a french open until the Parisian crowd have started booing someone <laughs> for no for no particularly uh, worthwhile reason is it presumably simon you have seen fiona ferro with your very own eyes because she beat Heather Watson in the opening round. Did you see that much? How how impressive is she? Yeah, I mean, she's 23, isn't she? So it's almost like a sort of a French Jennifer Brady scenario. Um, we don't talk about her here, Simon. Won the first tournament back in uh, Palermo. I mean, what an athlete, um, just really neat um, player, but but it's, it's a physicality that impresses you. And actually, I was looking her up, I didn't realise that she she's really Belgian. Um, but probably moved, but, but moved well. Belgian in her ancestry, and then moved when she was very young. But I mean, she, she, you could see her as Belgian, couldn't you? She, she does have something of the sort of that that style of tennis about her. What is a Belgian style of tennis? A sort of very neat, technically correct, uh, quite physical, um, perhaps less kind of flashy than the French. Is she still your femme du jour, David? Did you see that much? Were you with her all the way? I, I didn't see it. I was following the. The results. I mean, I, I when you talk about the the Belgian type of player, I mean, I, I know I know it's a heck of a stereotype, but I she looks like, and a lot of those players do look like they've just rolled out of a PE lesson where they were the star of the class. You know, they've just no no frills, but they just happen to be the best uh, physically, and and they can they could she could pull off any sport you like, and she does. I I really liked watching her the other day, and I'm I'm pleased she came through today. I was listening to some of it, and and I, the only other thing I wanted to ask Matt about it, having seen it, was whether the the crowd was was stressed watching her because when they watched Garcia, I sensed this anxiety on the part of the crowd as well as the player. What what's it? What is it like with Ferro today? I didn't sense stress. I, I think it helped that she won the first set, so she was kind of in control of the match from from the start in that way that Garcia wasn't. And also what we talked about yesterday with Garcia is Garcia is a known quantity and there's and there's a history of her struggling to close out matches and getting nervous. And I think it's I imagine that the one thousand fans on site are probably fairly knowledgeable tennis fans. They've probably really you know, they've probably gone out of their way to try and go to that event. So I think they were very aware of the Garcia backstory and everyone was sensing the wobble before it even came yesterday. Whereas with Ferro, I think they're kind of discovering probably who she is and what she's like as a tennis player. And it was, it was just a match to kind of just appreciate. I think they weren't, they weren't too stressed by it. They were involved and obviously cheering for their home player, but I didn't sense stress in the same way that we had with Garcia. I wonder if she keeps winning, whether she will emerge with an emergency kit sponsor like uh, players, some players that have surprise success out of nowhere sometimes have. Do you remember Dan Evans' run at the Australian Open a few years ago and he was going down to 
to what was it Woolworths or something or Kmart and uh, and buying his kit. That was a good line, wasn't it? Or was it the US? Oh, that was from the greatest K- ever press conference that was, that was ever held at tennis when there were six different lines that could have made the top. He also had a row with Kevin Peterson, didn't he? And a row with Tomic, was it? And Tomic's dad. Um, and then he, he gave a very moving speech of condolence to his, his late Belgian coach, Julian Hoffeland. So it was, it was like Dan Evans had really not said anything interesting for a year. Um, and then he did it all in 15 minutes. You could have done with him drip feeding that over six days, couldn't you, really? It was a bit of a waste. You know, um, it, was, it was like a banquet when you just ordered a pizza. <laughs> She, uh, Fiona Ferro now is one Sophia Kennan away from fulfilling your pre-tournament prediction, Matt. I mean, David asked about the anxiety of the French Mm. fans watching her today. How are you going to (laughs) be watching her in a couple of days time? That is a lot on the line because I'm, I'm loath to say it. I'd be even more loath to say it if it was David, but that would be so massive if you got Ferro in the quarters pre-tournament. Yeah, we have our algorithm which kind of rewards risk and bold bold picks. So that would be fifty points if if Ferro does make it through past Kenin. So um I was kind of anticipating that Kenin might have gone out by now, I think, when I made that prediction. <laughs> <laughs> I'm suddenly feeling a little less less confident about it because Kenin was quite good today, I, I believe. She uh she won very easily and said that she felt much better on the court, much more confident and it was her best best performance of the week but I think that will be a very very close match yeah she 6-2-6 love over Arena Barra today and it was 12 games in a row so from two two all in the opening set it was it was love and love for Kenan which regardless of the quality of opposition has to make you feel pretty any confidence issues which you are carrying around which we've discussed that's got to do a whole lot to silence a lot of those uh, a lot of those worries it was slightly well no let's not soft pedal it it was pretty slim pickings today in terms of of stories and really great quality matches and tussles i think the the ferry thieg match was was definitely the standout we we kind of kicked off the day with with not necessarily a, a rip roaring match but an interesting result uh with daniel altmeyer uh beating matteo Berrettini in three straight sets. Who who could have predicted that? Yeah, talking about 50 points. <laughs> That's what Catherine ended up with for getting that right, which, I mean, she didn't even know who he was last night. Now she's picking him to beat Berrettini and nailing so, it, which is... Uh, was that a Berrettini-based prediction, Catherine? It, it, had it was to a be. Berrettini-based conviction. I, um, I really like Matteo Berrettini. Seems like a nice bloke. I remember watching him play against Gemmelfis in the quarterfinals of the US Open last year and it was a sensational match. He really won me over and it was it was an electric atmosphere and he he rose to that occasion. It was it was great to see. But I am not convinced that he's a serial Grand Slam semi finalist. I'm not I'm I'm slightly I find myself slightly underwhelmed by him when I watch him. I feel like it's a slightly out of date style of play, the the huge forehand. I feel like he's he's quite he's quite a he's quite barrel chested, isn't he? And I know there are quite a lot of 
successful barrel-chested tennis players, but I'm not sure. I don't know. He just doesn't fit the mould for me. I, th- I think he'll have a good career and I think he'll reach Grand Slam quarterfinals. I'm just not not wholly convinced. Um, so I, he's sort of on my, if you want some points, potentially ripe for an upset list. Um, and I, I pulled the trigger on him today. He had some very strong quotes after the match today. He said, did he say he was embarrassed? Well, he said that the on the court. He, 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 was, put in? He, was, he said that in Italian, it was translated. And then his press conference was quite short, but, it, but I counted that he used the word bad to describe his own performance five times in a very, very short press conference. He was, he was really shocked and disappointed, I think, with how he played. And, and that game did get exposed. I mean, he's got a very weak backhand considering his top 10 ranking position and it can get exploited. And Daniel Altmaier was someone I'd never seen play before. I'd, I'd, tracked, I'd tracked that he'd beaten Struff in straight sets in the previous round, which was an, an impressive result. But he... On kind of contrary to Berrettini, has power off both wings and he can really attack with his backhand. He his idol is Stan Wawrinka, and he was actually in the crowd when Stan Wawrinka won the French Open in 2015. He got a he got a ticket last minute and managed to watch that match. And he really looks up to Stan Wawrinka. He does that thing where he points to his head like Stan Wawrinka does, and he says "Ale" on the court because he thinks "Ale Dan" sounds a bit like "Ale Stan." And, um, you know, he's a bit Wawrinka obsessed. Well, it's a bit intense. Yeah, well, intense is the word to describe him on court as well. He's he's very intense and uptight. Hang on, he, sa- he says Ale, he says Ale, because he he's thought through the, the, he thinks that sounds right. Okay. Yeah, because he, cause he's Daniel. I mean, that is getting a lift, that's into slightly creepy <laughs> territory. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Yep. Good luck to him. Yep. I didn't see any of that, um, but I would say that if you were trying to protect a weak wing, you know, that this is not the tournament in which to do it. I mean, I think there have been a lot of very one-sided matches because you can't really get around a basic imbalance in ground stroke power. So, you know, normally if you're losing, um, you can gamble. You can try and get a few flashy winners. You can try and change the momentum of a match. But when people get behind on this surface, they absolutely have nowhere to go. And if people find a weakness, you know, as a Berrettini backhand, they can just bang away at it because he can't protect himself by hitting power forehands. Um, you know, it's it's best of five that's been in this tournament. It's on the heaviest clay ever. So it's just completely, um, it's almost like you could stack up people's uh, power ratios and accuracy and they're just going to churn out the results almost like a mathematical formula because there's very little space for kind of breaking the mould. It's a tournament that's violating Carrillo's f- first law or second law. What one of the three laws, which is that you've got to be able to protect your weakness, is that right? Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I actually, and that that adds into what you were saying about it potentially being kind of out of date. Because if if you think back years and years ago, certainly when I was first uh, first started watching tennis, there weren't many complete players around. People had a weapon but they were protecting a weakness, a lot of them. Um, and yeah, I, I think it is a lot more difficult to do that these days. You look at players like Jack Sock, who's got that incredible forehand, but I mean, whereas a Kyle Edmund is built on his backhand and made it solid, Sock just hasn't been able to do that. 
Um, and Berrettini may fall into that category in the long run if he can't sort that out. Um, just on the subject of Altsmeyer, I mean, I, I, I didn't. I only saw a, a few games of the match. I saw enough to to get excited about his style of play, but then started to read up on his backstory and found it absolutely fascinating. Because when you see somebody this good, who's only twenty two years of age and is ranked, you know, one hundred and eighty odd in the world, you, you just can't work out. Well, why is that? And he, he had horrible injury problems. He had um, a serious abdominal and shoulder injury that kept him out for the best part of a year. And he was unranked at the start of 2019. So it was a long road back for him to, to get back to where he is now. Um, and uh, and actually, uh, one of the interesting things is he, he had some sort of scholarship deal with Sky Sports, I think, is the, the the German branch of, and and with crossover to to the British branch of the of the channel as well, because they were doing all sorts of feature pieces on him a couple of years ago when he was up and coming, and he was saying in his press conference today that he was asked about whether he'd had any sort of sports psychology help to help him get over his injuries, and he said not not specifically that sort of thing, but. He'd, he'd had kind of business guidance from people that he'd met along the way, like boxers such as Anthony Joshua and David Hay, and he'd spent a lot of time with them because of his link-up with Sky Sports. And so he, he said, it's just sort of taught me about the mentality of a sporting champion, and I've really grabbed onto what they were telling me. Um, and, and I kind of take it into all of these matches where I'm, playing a, a bigger name player and more illustrious player um and the whole Stan Wawrinka thing it, it is it is just a great comparison and 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 uh, the way he was pointing at his head when he when he won the match and the way he sort of just it's it's like Sebastian Corder with Nadal isn't it these it's great to see this generation of players coming through who are playing their idols we were talking about it a bit yesterday but you know, they're chuffed to bits to be doing it, and who knows whether they can actually carry it off. But he's a great story. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. 
Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. The real start to the day was probably the uh, the British doubles players, wasn't it? Tell us, tell us all about it, Simon. Well, uh, first it was Jamie Murray and Neil Skarpsky. Um, who went through in three quite tight sets against second seeds, Granolas and Zebaios. And then um, Joe Salisbury also won with Rajiv Ran. They won quite easily against uh, Fabrice Martin and Jeremy Shardy. So you're going to get a thousand words on Louis Caillé in the Sunday Telegraph. How much space can you get for a, a doubles-specific piece? That's a good chunk. I mean, um, yeah. we, we, we buried the single players singles players last week so we've got to praise the doubles players today well well they're both in the both those teams all those three british players are in the quarterfinals of the slam and um you know they all owe a debt to louis Caillet, but obviously i'm uh, talking from a very brit-centric perspective here for our international audience what what can you tell us about your piece and, and about louis Caillet generally because i mean he is regarded as as a guru isn't he within british doubles yeah so i got a good quote i thought of uh, luke bambridge who told me that um louis is like a cheat code um in a computer game because he just allows you to completely shortcut the system he says just just by using louis system you basically go to about 60 in the world and he says well louis would probably say about 40 in the world but whatever whatever that is i mean there are there are seven british players in the top 60 now um all of whom play the same system and as, as bambridge put it you know it, it's about the percentages so you you make the other team beat you by making a lot of first serves making as many returns into court um and he said it, in some ways maybe it, it's it's so uh, prescriptive that it could almost take the magic out of it but when you're making semis and finals you don't mind at how low a level would that uh, prescription work <laughs> simon i'm asking for a friend no, Louis uh, started, uh, well, he told me a story which you're going to like, Catherine. Uh, he said that um, it all began, he was 15, he was unloading uh, trucks, bear in mind he's 67 now, uh, unloading trucks to pay for his college tuition, and he was eating his sandwich in the park in well, in Montreal, I think, um, and there was a, a pretty 17-year-old coaching tennis. So he said, uh, as his opening line, he said, what do I have to do to work with you? And she said, we have to do the coaching course of September. And then he did the coaching. And then he married her. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it cut out just before the punchline of the story, Simon. Did did he marry her? That, that's the... <laughs> no, no, he got, he got signed to a different, um, different uh, park. And then he... Um, and then he, then he went from park to club to region to national to international. It took him a long time. Well, wow, so we've got how many how many teams still in the? It's all men's doubles, isn't it? And obviously there isn't a mixed. How, how many how many teams or how much representation to the Brits do the Brits still have? 
So Ram and Salisbury are into the quarterfinals now because they beat Shardy and Martin. We don't know who Salisbury's opponent is yet. Um, and Kravitz and Mies, who are the champions, defending champions, are going to be playing Murray and Skupski. But uh, Murray and Skupski beat, uh, yeah, second seeds in the previous round. So, so two British, so two teams with British representation remaining in the men's doubles at the quarter quarterfinal stage. That's not that's not bad. I watched Mao and Air Bear win today. They were out on court fourteen, which seemed to have the best order of play today and they beat uh, Vasek Pospisil and Jack Sock from match point down. Air Bear serving a second serve ace on match point down and there was quite a nice crowd on that court as well. It was, uh, it was a very tough early early round draw that one because uh, Sock and Pospisil weren't seeded but a very, a very good performance from Air Bear and Mahu and Air Bear, <laughs> there was a funny moment at the end of the match, well kind of funny, but kind of also slightly concerning. He accidentally sort of and intuitively hit the ball into the crowd, which he obviously isn't supposed to be doing at the moment. And sort of immediately, as soon as he'd done it, realised the error of his ways and went out of his way to apologise profusely. And I think I think the crowd sort of stepped back from the ball and uh, <laughs> it was quite an amusing <laughs> moment, tried not to touch it. I saw Muguruza throw her towel to somebody the other day who'd asked for it, and and it just clearly didn't occur to her that she's not supposed to be doing that. Oh, God. Um, other results that we've had today, Hatchinov defeated Christian Garin in four sets. I, I mean, I, I've been very confused by Karen Hatchinov over the past couple of years. I don't I don't really know what to expect from him or what he, what he is as a, as a tennis player, but I'd say that's a really really good win for him he plays Djokovic now who just looks in such supreme form I mean he he barely lost games today there was an interruption midway through the second set I think it was a point at which Djokovic hadn't actually dropped a game I think it might have been at six love two love uh, when there was an interruption to close the roof and he was just having a laugh and a joke with the um with the with the groundsman that was sorting out the the corks that had been rained on quite heavily and they were having to put a new layer of clay on and they were sweeping and everything and he just looked like he was playing in the park with his kids not in the middle of a grand slam third round match i mean he just looks so in control of of his of his tennis um it's yeah it's Pretty scary stuff for anyone standing in his way of the final, I would say. I wonder whether Hatchinov can be the man who gives him a little bit of a test, you know? Because, I mean, he's in such a tame half of the draw, we we thought at the start of the event. But Hatchinov is one of those players that promises so much and he looks the part and we keep expecting him to, to do more than he does. And he's shown signs of it. I wonder whether he can step up. I mean, I tend to think he's he doesn't really believe enough and he just sort of, he looks, he should be more than he is. Hedging your bets there with, with, with Hatchinov or Hatchanov. Um, the, uh, is, is he not in the Berrettini camp? Like um, massive forehand, bit one-dimensional? Possibly. I don't think his weakness is as much of a weakness. I do question But he still doesn't have much sophistication. I mean, I know Dan Evans quite likes playing Rublev and Hatchinov because when he starts mucking about and, and slowing the pace and giving the ball low, they, they don't really like it much. I I do question the fangs of Hatchinov. Mm. 
perhaps? He's been really consistent at the French Open. It's been his best slam. He's got to round four or better every time he's been there. I hadn't quite appreciated that consistency he's had there. But when I've been watching Hatchin of this tournament, I've been thinking about how he could kind of take that next step and also thinking that Magnus Norman is available as a coach now that Stan Wawrinka has stopped working with him. And I was just trying to think of the player that fits the mould of Stan Wawrinka and Robin Serdling, who have been Magnus Norman's last two people that he's worked with. And he's taken them from someone someone who's got a big game but kind of not making the most of it, which is kind of what I would say would be the similarity between Serdling and Wawrinka, someone... You know, those were players who used to do quite well at slams and he took them in Serling's case to the final of slams and in Wawrinka's case to winning slams. And I don't know, I just wonder whether a guy like Karen Hatchinov could be a good pupil for a coach like Magnus Norman. I like it. He's tried a couple of things, hasn't he? I remember he, he tried a very brief sort of trial arrangement with Nikolai Davidenko, which, I mean, besides being Russian, I can't imagine what on earth those two would have in common... <laughs> Tennis-wise, um, anyway, I, w- didn't I wouldn't have long. thought Zverev and Ferrer was going to be a match that worked, True. and they seem so far signs are fairly positive. Well, pretty positive, aren't they? He reached a, a Grand Slam final, and he seems to be improving. Um, so, Simon, who, who's who's looked the best to you uh, of, of the three big men? Yeah, I think Djokovic has probably been the cleanest, hasn't he? I mean, he did look a bit tetchy towards the very end of that match. He just wanted to get it finished and Galan was hanging around and making himself a nuisance. Um, but yeah, I'd say Djokovic is the cleanest and um, Halep on the women's side. So that's two, you know, top seeds uh, to, uh, to maybe suggest for, for what I believe is, is a tournament, like I say, where the law of averages is going to out in every match and, and you might have upsets in terms of people that you don't realise how good they are or how, how well they're going to play on the surface. But you're not going to get people who are going to play um, well and, and lose. They're, they're, just going to, they're just going to roll over their opponents because they can't be ambushed in the way that you might on a faster surface. Do you see anybody in Djokovic's half of the draw that could stand in the way of him reaching the finals? That's all the players that have played and won today. Sit to pass. He was good today, although Bedne was, was injured he plays Dimitrov next. Rublev plays uh, Fuchovic. So you're probably looking at Rublev, Sitsipas, Hatchinov. Can anyone prevent Djokovic from reaching the final? I don't think so. I mean, Rublev maybe could be a tricky player because he's going to have time to, to set up those really speedy... Um, I mean, he's got the highest racket head speed on the tour probably. So he, he could be somebody who's going to hit lumps through you. But I would have thought that Djokovic has been practicing that drop shot so much and and Rublev wouldn't, wouldn't enjoy that. It would catch him out positionally and, and bring him up and he's not not comfortable coming forward. So maybe the only person who could maybe deal with the drop shot is Sitsa Pass and, and he won't be steady enough probably on the on the backhand to backhand, Randy. So I don't really see it. He is drop shotting so much, isn't he, Djokovic? I always think that, that he... It internally wants to drop shot a lot more than he does. He's always kind of holding himself back. Um, but this tournament, he's just unleashing his inner drop shot dragon. <laughs> well, he massively overindulged in it when he was a teenager. 
quite like Andy Murray. He loved hitting it, and he was he was really good at it. I used to think he was actually better at the drop shot than Murray. Um, but then he got to a point where he was using it because some of, some other aspects of his game weren't working, and he kind of just put it back in the bag for for years. I don't I don't really remember seeing him play it for many of his dominant years in 2011 and and the years that followed, but. And he, and he was he used to play as a backboard, f- primarily who had some fangs as well. But now the, I feel like he uses it as as his a creative side, and b I always think back to that match he played against Zverev when when Zverev was looking like a big Djokovic, and I, and my feeling was crikey, I wonder whether Zverev may just take over Djokovic's mantle because of his ability from the back and the serve. And Djokovic played him the next time he played him. He just kept on floating these short balls to him and bringing him in and making him really uncomfortable. And it showed a completely different side to Djokovic, and that may have been a, just a tactical switch. But but you're right. Now he's he just uses it as this destructive finisher in rallies. Um, and, and, I mean, I think he's been hitting double-figures drop-shot winners in every match so far. And I think it's particularly effective on clay. I think there's sometimes sometimes a narrative around clay that it's just kind of baseline tennis back and forth. But I always think back to what Mary Carrillo says, and she calls it tennis's classroom, a clay court. And it's the surface which I think actually rewards variety the most in a way. And I remember when when Federer won the French Open in 2009, he specifically developed a drop shot that year, a forehand drop shot, which he'd never really had before. And I think he used it because he thought it would help him get Nadal off the baseline a little bit turns out he didn't have to play Nadal and it actually was the perfect weapon to beat Robin Serdling as well to get him moving and off the baseline so I definitely think it's both an ingrained part of Djokovic's game as you said dating back from when he burst through on the tour but also a specific tool for him at the French Open currently. In terms of uh, uh, players in the bottom half of the draw that could prevent Fiona Ferro from reaching the final uh, <laughs> that's not happening <laughs> other than Sophia Kennan who she plays next uh, Yelena Ostapenko has ruined the best quirkiest record in tennis and she's lost in the third round um, so she's she's not going to win the French Open and that's that's a shame for people on Twitter everywhere we, we can't <laughs> have nice things in uh, 2020 and that is that is yet another thing <laughs> that has been ruined Yes, thank you, Paula Bedosa, for ruining that. I think uh, Ostapenko was was pretty ropey today. I think it was on those mm. days when it was whatever the opposite of a purple patch is. Error um, strewn, the whole performance. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, part of that was because of her opponent as well. But really, when Ostapenko's on, often doesn't matter who she's playing because she can just hit winner after winner and she was just nowhere to nowhere near today. Ons Jabeur beat Arena Sabalenka. Matt, I know you watched some of this and said you found watching Sabalenka quite stressful and weren't weren't particularly enjoying the experience. I I looked at I was um I was out at a, a, a dog groomers at the time and I was just uh, watching via. Uh, live scoring and I said oh Jabir Sabalenka looks good are you watching Matt and he said yes but I'm finding it quite stressful (laughs) I love how my tone came across on WhatsApp Um, I I mean I love 
a kind of chaotic match, and and this one was. I mean, I think Ons Jabeur served for the first set, six five forty love. Sabalenka broke back. Sabalenka had a massive lead in the first set tiebreak, and Ons Jabeur won the set. It was very entertaining and dramatic from that point of view. But Sabalenka is completely all or nothing, and I've, as a as a viewer, I've, I just find that frustrating. There's no there's no pattern to what she's doing out on the court, and she's too erratic and she's i think she's been seeded now in about 2 years worth of slams to get to the fourth round and she hasn't managed that once and and she's not had i would say a lot of bad losses at slams she's she's lost to good opponents on Jabeur as a player on the rise but she's not really had any good wins and i think that's kind of the breakthrough she needs and with her big game that is what she would expect but she hasn't she hasn't figured out a way to manage it into a kind of winning formula. And it, I just I just got a bit frustrated by it. She, Jabeur, now plays, and uh, I just double-checked on the score before I said that I was going to casually say she now plays most likely Gaibini Muguruza. Um, but she, in her match with da- Danielle Collins that started on Suzanne Longlen, was suspended because of rain at about 6.30pm local time, 6pm. Uh, and actually after the conclusion of the Djokovic match was moved onto Chatrier under the roof. And that is not going well for Muguruza. She's just lost the first set to Danielle Collins 7-5. So imagine a Jabeur, Jabeur Collins uh, fourth fourth round it would be. Mm. And the other the other fourth rounds from that section of the draw, you got Siegmund against Paula Bedosa, uh, Fiona Ferro against Sophia Kennan, and uh, Kvitova against Zhang Shui. I mean, I think that's what you'd call an open an open section of the draw, an open half of the draw. Crikey! Taylor Fernandez is pretty good today against Kvitova, wasn't she? Yes, I believe I didn't watch that much, but I believe. I mean, I I watched a bit of her. In um, Lexington, actually, Lexington, Kentucky, uh, she she won at least one match there. And that was the first time I sort of watched watched her game solidly. And I was very impressed. She's this tiny little thing. <laughs> she, she, she looks like a sort of junior gymnast or something. But she's got a heck of a game. Um, I, I saw some of it, actually. And my daughter walked in while I was watching it. And, and Fernandez was 5-1 up in the first set at the time. And my daughter came and said, oh, who are you, who are you watching? You know, my daughter's 10. And I said, uh, well, Petra Kvitova, who was a Wimbledon champion, and, and this is Leila Fernandez. And she saw her and she goes, oh, she's so sweet. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, uh, yeah, she is, isn't she? And, but my, and I was thinking, but she's playing seriously she's got fangs she's another one with with attitude and she's bringing it but she then lost i don't quite know what happened because the next time i turned on about half an hour later she'd lost six games in a row and and Kavita had got the first set on the board yeah she is quietly confident fernandez she was asked in her press conference the other day whether she expected to break through to the top 100 in her first year on the tour she just peaked at 98 a couple of weeks ago and she said yes i absolutely did expect that um and it was a it was an interesting match between two lefties, and I don't know whether Simon, as I, f- I feel like you have reasonably strong technical knowledge of the game, and I feel like watching Fernandez, she holds the racket in a slightly different place. She's her hand is slightly up the grip. You can see a lot of the bottom of the grip when she's playing, 
And I've I've been trying to put my finger on why it seems a bit different when she's playing. And I was watching her today, and I think that is the reason. And I'm not sure quite what the advantage of doing that is, but it's it's definitely noticeable. And she kind of makes up for the fact that she is so tiny by trying to take the ball early and hit it quite flat off both wings. And uh, yeah, she, I mean, certainly through the first portion of that match, she wasn't getting hit off the court by by Petra Kvitova. But I do wonder whether whether Kvitova's greater weight of shot eventually just told in that match. I, I can tell you, Matt, I uh, watched her play in Lexington alongside Greg Rosetsky, and that was something, the the grip, um, the hand placement on the grip was something he was remarking on a lot, and he didn't understand it at all. He thought it was uh, definitely to her detriment that she was she was playing that way. So She's shortening the racket. She, I mean, I, I had it on in the background, but I've got to say I have my... Head in Louis Kaye for that for that phase of the day. Um, oh, it's the imagery you provide, Simon. That's uh, so. I, that's I, where we get you on. I can't say that I was watching that closely, but I mean, uh, if, if she's shortening the racket, then that that probably isn't orthodoxy re- recommended. I mean, most players tend to use longer rackets if they can. Um, there's a lot of a lot of extra long handled rackets out there for obviously greater leverage and head head speed when you swing. So. It'd be quite unusual. Tomorrow's order of play, I think, matchups wise. I mean, obviously, if you're a big Djokovic fan or a big Fiona Ferro fan, you'll you'll happily watch them, you know, cruise to victory all day long. But um, I think, in terms of matches that neutrals can get their teeth into, tomorrow's order of play is is definitely more appealing than than today's. It starts with Halep and Sviontek. And then Ooh, yeah. uh, Rafael Nadal, super fan, Sebastian Corder against Rafael Nadal next. Uh, then Alina Svitolina and Caroline Garcia. And then it's Hugo Gaston against Dominic Team. That's the Chatrier schedule. And then uh, Longlen is Trevisan and Kiki Burtons. And then Zverev against uh, Yannick Sinner. I'm very interested in that one. And uh, Lorenzo Sonego against Diego Schwartzman. And then some Herbert Mayu action to round off the day, just to make me cry. Um, yeah, it's Zverev Sinner. And, oh, but I think both those women's matches on uh, on Chatre are really tasty tomorrow. I'm very interested in how Sviontek fares against Halep because it seems a bit of an impossible task. Getting the even getting a set off Halep uh, this tournament, but, but I don't know. I really, really believe in Shvontek. She's got such a quiet, cool confidence about her, and um, yeah, she's really interesting. I think absolutely yes. I I think it's probably a little bit too early for her to be able to beat Halep, as you said, playing in this kind of form. But I I think she's going to be able to perform a lot better than she did last year when she lost in 46 minutes to Halep. And I think she will express herself a lot better on the court. And there'll be there'll be some excellent rallies in that one. Reverse of the Anisimova scenario where she mm. did well against Halep last year and terribly this year. I got that one badly wrong because after about one game, um, I was predicting that it was going to be a ripper and then it really wasn't. <laughs> yes, yes, I saw you tweet, get to your TVs now. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, she she ripped some forehand winners. She had five great points in the opening Halep game. And then after Halep held, um, she just started missing all those shots that have been screaming into the corners. Um, so that was my prediction for the day. 
Um, I'll, I'll be keeping a close eye on uh, Alina Svitolina because, you know, in this kind of jingoistic bubble that I live in, um, you know, we'll be adopting her as uh, the only person with a British coach. Um, and uh, formerly having lived in Fulham before she got with Gail Monfils. Bubbles are all the rage, Simon. It's the place <laughs> to be. Um, of of the kind of uh, the significant men in that bottom half of the draw, basically, out if if we get that Nadal team semi final, which everybody is predicting. Um. On the basis of what you've seen so far, how would you see that going? I think Rafa's been smoother, hasn't he? Um, I've still enjoyed watching team. I still think that if I could play like anyone, I want to play like Dominic team. Is there a Louis Kaya cheat code for for playing like Dominic team? Well, I think you've got to be like phenomenally athletic and um, powerful and fast. I mean, he, he kind of is a right-handed Rafa Nadal, as close as you get, although, you know, obviously the, the Rafa forehand is something that no one else has ever played and probably never will. Um, but in terms of the, the the energy levels and the hustle and the speed and the depth and the way they hang back, um, so it should be a ripper. Um, obviously, Rafa's beaten him in two finals here, so um, you've got to go with Rafa on that one. But And and, and team is going to have some some lingering... Weariness, you've got to think from New York. So, pretty clear who's the favourite, but I still love watching Team, whatever he's doing. Well, you've jinxed that match by saying it's going to be a ripper. <laughs> Jim Courier today was saying that he suspects there is some lingering fatigue there. He, he's just, I think it, we were talking about how Team wasn't quite right early on in that match against Rude, and that was perhaps a. Uh, a telltale sign to that and and he kind of hit his way through it he hung in long enough until he started feeling good you're not going to get away with that against Nadal you'll be two sets down and 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 once Nadal gets into that frame of mind I think he he just won't let him up for air um but I I still think that now that Vavrinka isn't in the way that team may be able to to roll into that match. I mean, I know Schwartzman is a possible mm. opponent, isn't he? I think in the quarterfinals, and, and Schwartzman's so energetic and so dynamic himself, he may cause him trouble. Um, but I, well, you know, do, do you know, it does feel like, you know, when we were in Australia a couple of years ago and we were building up to that Nadal Djokovic final, and we couldn't possibly imagine it not being a, a belter, and it ended up being a a dud because Djokovic was just way too good for him. Um, I, I'm I'm scared of that scenario because it doesn't seem like that can happen. And yet, of course it could. So fingers crossed because on paper, the, the number of matchups still to come in the men's draw, it may not be as many interesting names in total, but it's just the, the actual dynamics of the matchups are fantastic. You enjoying covering it? Simon, are you enjoying this French Open? Well, being in quarantine isn't, isn't much fun, I've got to say. Um, particularly during Storm Alex, which is obviously um, given everything a kind of twilight feel. Um, so, you know, it's not one that I'd be looking to relive. Um, that's what it, that's what it's got a certain a bizarre quality and, um, you know, as reporters, anything that's kind of weirdly different is obviously kind of gives you some 
material to work with, um, but it does feel like uh, sort of a bubble, a balloon, let's say, with the air taken out of it, which is also sort of true of the almost the conditions. They, they, they feel like being on a, a gymnastics track, which has no springs, and just everything kind of the bounce and the, and the and the kind of life has been drained out of that, that court by the weather and the rain. In a word, lovely. <laughs> <laughs> Simon, uh, it's it's great to have your um, view from from well from having been on the ground in Roland Garros. I'm sorry you're now in quarantine. Such are the times we live in. Yeah, that I mean, you you could be a Tory MP with that kind of bookcase in the background of your Zoom. Well, life goals, Catherine. <laughs> you need some. You need some removed and positioned. With the front cover outwards, you need the most cerebral ones with the front cover position outwards, like it's a Waterstones. <laughs> Simon has just removed Cezanne and his art just casually <laughs> from his bookcase. So, Simon, you need to you need to have your own book on, you know, yes. is the one that we can see. That that's that's something yeah, that like, they all do, isn't it? Like John Legend with his Grammys casually in the background. There yeah. it is, Simon. <laughs> What's it called again? Stiff upper lips. Stiff upper lips. And baggy green caps. Oh. That's a cricket book, right? Still available on Amazon. (laughs) (laughs) Right then. Always a treat. No post-coital cigarettes today. Um, But, yeah, we'll save those for normal slams. Um, Yeah, always a treat, Simon. Thank you. Go back to quarantining and just, yeah... Sitting in the my moody manner. <laughs> sitting in your moody manner. Yeah, those were the words I was looking for. Uh, David, Matt, thank you. Let's enjoy not being in Paris. <laughs> and uh, thank you to Cam, a lovely, lovely mascot. If you haven't seen Cam's second video, highly recommend it. Uh, the link is in yesterday's show notes. Um, and today's. And we'll put we'll we'll put them in today's as well, um, and in the newsletter as well. And Matt's stats the the bar has always been high. I mean, he set the bar, but I think this fortnight Matt's stats have been better than ever. That some of them are worthy of the um, top of head blown off emoji, which I yeah. uh, I try not to overuse. <laughs> Matt, Matt, just 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 regale to us that one you got about Medvedev and how many slams he would need to win, or how, in order to reach the number of Federer wins. Oh yes, this came about because Wawrinka won his hundred and fiftieth match at a slam. Which I always think a stat like that you need some context to kind of understand what, like, just how good that is. And um, I think he's I think he's the twelfth player maybe in the Open era to have won one hundred and fifty matches at slams and. Uh, Federer leads that list with 362 wins, I think. And again, some context for that is that Daniel Medvedev has 25 slam match wins at the moment, meaning that if he won the next 45 slams in a row, he still wouldn't have as many match wins as Roger Federer has at Grand Slams. That is ridiculous. That really would be the metronomic winning of titles, wouldn't it? So sign up for the newsletter. That's the sort of stuff you get. Well worth it, folks. We'll uh, we'll see you tomorrow. Mom 
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com.